Okay, well, let's pray. Well, Father, Father, we thank you, God, for our salvations, Lord. We thank you that we are no longer under your wrath, God, that we have peace with you because of what Christ has done for us. In Christ, we, we thank you for establishing your church, for giving us this calling to meet together, to glory in unity over our salvation and to find fellowship and help in this journey that is our sanctifications, Lord. And Father, we thank you for this work that you're doing in us, God, that is making us more and more holy. We pray for your grace in this work, God. I pray for your grace in this study, Lord, as we study sanctification, that it would in fact lead to our sanctifications, that it would enable us to understand your truth better and to therefore live it out, God. So we know that you're pleased when your saints are are desiring to be obedient, God. So hear our prayer and hear our hearts and please answer us and help us to glorify you in this fallen and sinful world. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I always like to do at least a a very quick recap, um, just to catch any of you up on where we were last week. Um, if you weren't here or just for your memory. But last week what we did as we studied the doctrine of sanctification, um, I introduced to you some of the biblical words, some of the original language that was used in the Old Testament and the New Testament to speak of the reality that we're studying uh, of sanctification. The words were Kadesh in the Old Testament and Hagios in the New Testament. Those two words that are most often translated for us in the Bibles as um, either holy or saints or to be set apart or to be sanctified. That's the concept that we're studying and and talking about um, as we look at the doctrine of sanctification. Um, Last week, we actually began looking at this chart um, that is in Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And the reason I like this chart is because I think it's helpful in giving us um, just a mental image of the realities that we're talking about as we study sanctification. And you've probably noticed that the chart looks a lot better than it did last week. Um, it's a lot cleaner. I like how how much taller the definitive sanctification line is. I think that's good. That's, Did that's you raise the bar. The bar has been raised. The bar has been raised. So that's good. We're gonna. I, I wanted this back up here because we're gonna continue to to use this chart to think about um, these things today. Last week again, what we looked at was really the first aspects of sanctification. We we talked about what's happening here at this number one. And, and we call that um, a couple, we, we reference that in a couple of different ways. Uh, we call it uh, positional sanctification and definitive sanctification. Um, I think maybe you can even make some distinctions um, between those two, I think. But what's happening here at your conversion when you get saved is that God is setting you apart from this fallen world and he's taking you from the position or from the category of sinner and he's taking you into the category of being a saint. See, so there's a couple ways in which that happens. Positionally, God now takes you from the category of sinner and positionally declares you as a saint. He calls you a saint. From the point that you're saved onward, you are now a saint. You are no longer um, to be uh, deemed a sinner in that way. Right? If you've been saved, you are now a sinner. So positionally, God, God calls you a saint, and that's true. But the other aspect of that initial work of God in our lives of sanctification is definitive sanctification, whereby you are actually changed. And you actually become more holy to the point that you can be called a saint also because of the actual change that's happened in you, that change that God has done um, definitively. Like instantaneously, this this occurs. Um, I think it happens in, in conjunction with your regeneration. When you get saved, the Spirit of God is given to you. The Bible used that language of you've been made alive. All of that 
um, gives you this new life that you did not have before and that you are changed. You are in a sense better than you were before you believed. At the moment that God imparts to you his spirit, something happens where um, this, this work, this progressive work that we're talking about has begun. Um, and with this, with this first aspect here, positional sanctification, definitive sanctification, I know some of the things that we were talking about were kind of confusing in a sense because and it may have just been a lack of articulation on my part, but in some sense, some of those realities overlap other realities in the Ordo Salutis. We talked about how justification, in a sense, by God declaring you to be righteous, that, in a sense, is why God also now refers to you as a saint, right? So there's some overlap with justification in that sense. There's some overlap with regeneration in the fact that because of regeneration, you actually are made more holy. So I know there was some question in how all those things relate, and, I, and that can be... Um, that can be certainly confusing. So hopefully last week clarified those things and didn't, didn't make it more confusing. But really the goal for today is going to be to move into um, what I call the good stuff. Whereby we become more and more holy, become more and more godly. This is the progressive, what we're calling the progressive aspect of our sanctifications. And that's what I want us to look at um, today. So, first of all, I wanted to establish, before we get too carried away, before we get too far down this line, I want us to establish what is the basis, or what is the foundation, or what is the the reason that you and I are able to even progress in our sanctification? Why are we able to do this work? Why are we able to become more holy? Um, Really, who gets the credit for this? Right? That's really kind of what I want to establish before we start talking about our growth. I want to, um, how would you say that, give due where honor is due, I guess, in a sense. So the reason that we're able to progress through our sanctification is because of what God has, because of what God has begun in our lives. And as we'll see, it's not only what he's begun, but what he also continually um, is continuously doing in our lives. So. All of our progress is because of what God has begun. Um, But as we're going to see, we do have a part in that progress. We do have a part in this work of progressive sanctification. So, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is really a classic text on how our progressive sanctification begins, or why it begins. Why do we progressively begin um, to accomplish this work of sanctification in our lives? Romans chapter 6, it is a classic text. I actually, if you recall, I actually referenced Romans chapter 6 at the beginning of this month in our Lord's Supper devotion, right? Because that was the first week that we started sanctification. I kind of just wanted to present um, this reality that Romans uh, Romans 6 is speaking about. Um, to kind of ground uh, sanctification and why we're able to progress. I want you to note verses 6 and 7. So let's just look at Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, that says this. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Speaking of Jesus, of course. Our old self was crucified with him in order or for the purpose that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who is died is freed from sin. So in the Lord's Supper devotion and now I want you to to recognize the reality of why all of this sanctification is able to happen. Why are you able to do things that you were not able to do before you became a Christian? Before you, get, before you got saved, why are you able to put off sin now as to where before you were a Christian, before you were filled by the Spirit, you were not able to do it? And the reason is because of what Christ has done. That's the reason we're able to do any of this is because of what Christ has done for us. Verses 6 there is speaking of, when it says that we were crucified with Him, it's referencing the doctrine of union with Christ. You see, union with Christ. We were We were with him in his death. All of his elect, I believe, were with him and died with him. 
as Christ died for sin, and therefore in time, as God applies the work of Christ to us, you see, we die to sin. That's, that's the foundation, see, for all of our progress is what Christ has done. We can never, I'm going to constantly kind of go back to that, I think, in a sense. We don't want to forget that, right? Because what's the, what does this become, I guess, to kind of jump ahead? What does that become if you're not fully aware that everything you're doing is because of what God has done? What does your sanctification, in a sense, become if it's not based on what Christ has done? If you're not giving uh, rightful due to who has earned it? Yeah, yeah. A self-righteousness, right? A works righteousness. Yeah, it can affect your your understanding of why you are, you know, as holy as you think you are, right? But I think Romans six establishes um, really how all this begins. It begins uh, because of what Christ has done, and so we want to recognize that before we get too carried away, right, in the work. So keep that in mind. It's Romans six is known as the classic passage on this. The reality that we now have a definite break with sin. A definite break with sin where before, you know the Bible describes us as slaves to sin, right? A a slave does not have a definite break from his master. The master always has control over him, always has a say in his life, um, always has a a mastery over him. But this freedom that Christ has, has given to us has given us a break from our old master, our old slave our old taskmaster, who was a wicked slave owner, a wicked taskmaster, we now have this ability, brothers and sisters, not to sin. That's a, that's, a, that's a strange concept, isn't it? We now have an ability not to sin. That's interesting. Um, go ahead and turn. I think this verse is significant enough to turn to. I'm always trying to decide, like with all the verses I have in my notes, which ones do we want to take the time to turn to? Turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Just, it, it just speaks to another um, aspect of this break with sin that we have in this newfound ability not to sin. This is an amazing verse. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says this, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Okay, so I don't want to, let me first establish what this verse is not saying then we can deal with what it's saying. As it speaks of no one who is born of God um, continues in sin, it's just, it's speaking to the aspect that um, you're not going to live a life of perpetual, unrepentant, Sin. It's not saying you're never going to sin again. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, but it's speaking of an ongoing willful sin uh, that is unrepentant. It's saying here that anyone who is born of God cannot be found in that position. Why is it that someone who is a Christian, who is a believer, cannot be so bound to the slave master of sin that this does not happen? What is the reason that 1 John 3 9 says? Sin is no longer your slave master and, and, and does not defeat you and does not enable you from overcoming sin. What's the reason given to us here? Born of God? What does it mean to be born of God? What's it, what's it getting at? A new nature. Um, it kind of clarifies in the second... Uh, what do you think it means that His, I think it's a reference to God, His seed abides in you. What's that talking about? What's that a reference to? Christ. Christ. I think the Spirit probably more in particular is what it's like. The seed of God is now in you. It is now in you. This is why you cannot go on sinning. Not because necessarily you're good in and of yourself and you can do it, but the Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God, this is the work that He's doing. He's giving you an ability you did not have before. He's working something in you that you were not able to do in your flesh. Right, he's he's doing what he's he's uh, convicting you when you do sin, right? He's doing that. He's comforting you when you need comfort, so your faith doesn't fail. He sealed you for the day of re- all of these things. Is the Spirit of God's doing many things in us. This is why, um, this is why we're able to overcome our sin because of what Christ did for us, and now the Spirit applies that, and there's a work going on in us. 
Right? Praise God. It's good to be a Christian. What a gift. Why don't we mention this more often in our preaching? Right? The gift of the Holy Spirit is, is promised to those who will believe. Peter mentioned it. Right? That's a great promise to people that you will be given God himself? Wow. Look at, look at what, I mean, because I'll tell you, I'll just be honest. When I, before I was a Christian, I was raised in church. I knew God's statutes and his laws. And I could, I wanted to keep them in a sense even. Right? I knew some of the things I was addicted to. I hated it. I hated my slave master, but I couldn't stop. No matter what, I tried all kinds of crazy things, right? Like, I tried to get certain jobs that would, you know, would drug test me so that I could have some other accountability. And guess what? None of those things work. You need the Spirit of God if you're actually going to overcome in your heart sin. That's, that's the only thing that's going to do that work. And so another thing to, to keep in mind also, because of all these things that we're talking about, think about this. Um, the Christian is never able to say that they are defeated by sin, that they cannot do something the Bible says to do, right? There's no excuse for us um, to basically give up, right? There's no excuse for you to give up as a Christian and not do what the Bible calls you to do. You must engage. You must fight. Yes, you will fail along the way and not do it perfectly, but there's no excuse for it to give up. You've been given the Spirit of God. God is in you. He's called you to do these things. Um, first John's saying is that you're able. You're able. Um, we're going to talk about why the conflict is still there. We're, we're going to get to that. Yes, sir, Marshall. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, that's one thing that we don't uh, hear about in preaching, uh, receiving God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, you know, because now, I mean, we know that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Yes. You know, and we know what He has done, you know, and we know God, you know. Right. But the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is what we need to know more. You know? Right. Because that's what deals in us as Christians. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I think the the, the the person of the Spirit is is oftentimes neglected um, in the church, right? For the same reason I said at the very beginning of this outset that the doctrine of sanctification is neglected in the church, right? All people want is justification. All people want is, they're fine. As long as I'm going to heaven, as long as my sins are forgiven, that's all I'm looking for, right? But sanctification, because it is a hard work, as we're going to see, that's, that, nobody wants that. That's often, I don't say nobody, I don't mean to say it like that, but I'm just saying overall, evangelical landscape, it's, it's a missing doctrine. It's not, it's not emphasized. It's not preached as it should be. Um, the Spirit of God is therefore not preached as he should be and what he's doing, right? So I... I understand what you're saying. Um, maybe there's a reason, because I, I often think about that sometimes, and we're going to notice it here in a second, but sometimes you do have the Father and Spirit, specifically um, uh, individually spoken of, where the Spirit's not mentioned, and maybe sometimes in Scripture we wonder, how come the Spirit wasn't mentioned, you know, sometimes. But the work of the Trinity, they do have individual tasks. So, for instance, say like the book of Hebrews that we're studying now, what aspect of the triune work is being emphasized in our study in the book of Hebrews? Whose work? I think it's Christ's work. Christ's high priestly work is what's being emphasized in that book for this particular reason. So we're hearing a lot about that. Maybe not the Father or the Spirit, but they all work together, of course, you know, we see. So depending on what aspect of our salvation we're talking about, yeah, we might emphasize one work of the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of God or a different person of the Trinity, um, that's 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 true, but this work we're talking about now is the spirit, is is the spirit of the work, uh, the work of the spirit for sure, um, that he's inside of you helping you to overcome your sin. Um, somebody else, I can't remember if it was if it was Chris. Somebody mentioned this aspect of the new nature. The new nature, I think, is a vital aspect, a vital reality of how or why 
we are able to progress in our sanctification. Um, and that's why I, I, I hint at the language all the time. You know, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead, now we're alive. That's how that's able to happen. And who, who made us alive? We didn't make ourselves alive. God made us alive. God made us alive in Christ. So that's how we're able to progress. Um, let's, turn, let's turn to another, I call them classic passages. These aren't unfamiliar. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is a huge, huge passage, which is really making, I think, the transition that we want to make today. Um, we want to make the transition um, from the foundational work that God has done to the progressive work. And I think this, this text really makes that transition for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here's where we want to get to, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Y'all know that verse, but it is all important to And this is what we're talking about right here. This relationship between what God does and what we have to do. And that's why, if you think back to the original chart of the Ordo Salutis, that's why progressive sanctification was deemed to be a synergistic work. Can somebody define for us why we, or what does it even mean when we're saying that progressive sanctification, the working out of our salvation, is a synergistic work. What do we mean by that? It's you and God. It's you and God. Synergistically, we're working. To, it means to work together. God's working in our, in our sanctification, but we are also working as well. And I think we're going to see, if we, as we look closely here at Philippians chapter 2, that's exactly what's happening. Remember, this work here... In our original positional sanctification and uh, definitive sanctification, that was a monergistic work. God did that. God did all of that. This work here um, is a work of God and man. That's the reality. So, um, as we think about that, maybe just let me clarify first what I think is important is that the work of God, as I try to emphasize being a class, is primary in this work. See, some people... You know, like John Murray is famous for not being willing to say that it's a synergistic work because he's so emphasizing the primacy of God in our sanctification, right? And you can understand why somebody might be afraid of, you know, uh, attributing man's work to this, but um, certainly I think that's exactly what Philippians 2 is saying, that God is working primarily... um, Maybe a good example of what we talked about earlier. I think uh, the Spirit of God is going to be attributed with a lot of this work, but it is a triune work going on in our lives as we're becoming sanctified. It's a triune work. Let me just read for you. Stay, stay at Philippians 2, but just notice the, the, the work of the Father and Son from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, where there it says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant... Even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. See, that's, that's a prayer from the author of Hebrews praying to God the Father, I believe, saying that I pray that God would work this, work this out in you, that he would equip you for every good thing to do what is pleasing in his sight. Then the verse says, through Jesus Christ. See, so it's a, it's a work um, instigated by the Father that's carried out through the work of Christ, right? His active passive obedience and his death on the cross and our union with him. But it's a, it's a father and son um, work here. We already looked at Romans 6 where specifically the work of Christ, because he died, we died to sin. There the son specifically is, is attributed with this work. But the spirit... The Spirit of God, in particular, um, has much to do with this work of, of our carrying out of our holiness. Let me just read to you uh, maybe two more verses, but stay at Philippians 2. Romans 8.13 says this, listen for it. 
For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What is the means given to us by which we're going to put off the deeds of the flesh? He said by the Spirit. By the Spirit we're doing these things. We're going to come back to, that, to, to, the, real, to the reality that's speaking of in a minute. What about Galatians 5? All these, the fruit of progressive holiness, the fruit of holiness, how does, the, how does it, don't turn there, I mean, you don't have to, you'll know off the top of your head, who's attributed with that fruit? It's the fruit of whom? The fruit of the Spirit, see? All of those, all of those attributes of, of growing in sanctification are, are fruits of the, fruit of the Spirit, right, Emilio? Fruit singular? The fruit of the Spirit. What is the Spirit in the New Testament most often, uh, what's the adjective in front of his name? He's called the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. So, I mean, that's a characteristic that is so prominent, right, for the Spirit. That's what he's referred to most of the time, the Holy Spirit. That's who's inside of us, right? Any questions? Any, any, any comments right now? Okay, so back to Philippians 2.13. It tells us that it's God who's work, at work in us, and... Uh, He's working in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, because God's working in us, as we said, what's our response to God's work in us? What are we to do in light of the work that God is doing in us? First and foremost, I would say what we need to do is, what, we've, what I started off class by doing is acknowledging, acknowledging that God is doing a work in us. Right? We need to understand that and be thankful for that. And uh, everything that we are doing, that we're doing, is out is based on what God has done. Right? It's not in our own flesh. It's not in our own strength. It's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps Christianity. It's thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let me, help me. Right? Prayer, I think, is a part of that. Recognizing that God is the one who's doing this. So, in a sense, there's a passive aspect um, to our sanctification. That's how... Uh, Wayne Grudem puts it. He talks about this passive aspect and this active aspect. The passive aspect is that God is working and we need to um, yield ourselves to that. Right? We need to make ourselves available. We need to not quench the spirit in what he's trying to do. We need to make ourselves available for what God is, is doing in our lives. And uh, our response to what God is doing is that we are then to work. Right? That's how the text starts out there. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. Work. Notice that we're, we're going to really hone in on that word. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, those are interesting adjectives, aren't they? Fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? I mean, we're saved. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why would Paul come along now and use that type of language for how we're to work out our salvation? Yes, Carlos. Respect and reverence, right? I think that's right. We're dealing, it's something we're doing with God. We're dealing with God. Nothing that we do with the God of the Bible is to be done flippantly. It's not to be silly. It's not to be light, you know, taken lightly. We're dealing with the triune God of the Bible who, when people see him, they fall down and weep. They fall down and, right? They don't know what to do. They're undone when people deal with this God and, and we are dealing with this God and so the work of salvation is to be done or the work of sanctification is to be done in fear and trembling we're, we're working out holiness with a holy God it's right that this be done in a, a fearful and trembling this is serious business this is no work this is no joke but it is it is a work it is a work so um with that in mind, let's just um, let's convince ourselves, right, that this is a work. Because I want us to be ready for that. I want us to be ready for the reality, right? When, when my alarm goes off in the morning, brothers and sisters, I have to convince myself that I have work to do. Right? I have to stir myself up that it's time to work. Same thing in your sanctification. Don't go into this thinking it's the red carpet into heaven, right? Like it's just going to be easy and there's going to be no problems it's a work. So 
Maybe let's turn to just one other passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Um, that's going to use a different word other than the word um, for work. Another descriptor of this process. But let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 6. Um, the word is in verse 12, but maybe let me start at verse 10. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That's an interesting parallel that I didn't notice earlier, right? It's almost like he's starting with the same mindset. God is doing this work in you, right? Recognize that. Be strong in His might, right? Be strong in His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for our struggle. That's the word I wanted to emphasize. It's a struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But brothers and sisters, what he's talking about is sanctification. He's talking about the working out of your salvation. He calls it a struggle. He calls it a struggle. I just looked up that word. It could just, just the, the range of, of definitions for that would be like, it, it's a battle, it's a contest, it's a wrestling. That's what our sanctification is. It's not easy. None of that sounds easy to me. It sounds like a, yes, sir? I had a thought. Yeah. Um, just like it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and in, in the same idea of reverence and, and a holy fear. Um, it reminded me of a verse in Isaiah 66 2 where he says for my hand made all these things thus all these things came into being declares the Lord but to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word mm. in that same sense that the reverence that holy fear God delights he has a pleasure in those who a holy trembling at his word, yeah. at his word. Yeah. right so what are we trembling at Everything that he's revealed to us, everything that he's calling us to do, yes, Lord, you know, like a, like a good slave should do, bow down before him and whatever he says, yes, Lord, right? Be fearful not to do it, in a sense, right? We should be fearful not to obey God. That's right, yeah, good, good text. Let me just, I'm just going to read, I don't want you all to flip to all these just for time's sake. Let me just read to you some of these other texts that speak of this struggle, speak of this work. And just how the Bible um, speaks to this work that we're engaged in. 1 Corinthians 15.31. You can turn there if you can keep up. I'm going to read them quick. Paul says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. Right? And think about if this describes your... This is really application-wise. Does this describe your, your, Christ, your thinking about your Christian life? Is your Christian life a struggle? Do you wake up and die daily? Paul says he did. Galatians 5.24 Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Similar language, talking about crucifixion, dying to your old self, dying to the old fleshly desires that you used to give yourself over to. 1 Corinthians 9.27 Paul says, But I discipline my body and make it my slave. I discipline my body and make it my slave. Right? Can we relate to some of these things? Are we trying to do that with our bodies? Are we disciplining it? Are we making it do what we know it should be doing? Are we keeping it from doing things that we know it shouldn't be doing? That's, that's the wrestle that the Apostle Paul uh, was engaged in. Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. A sacrifice. Your body is a sacrifice laid down on the altar. What was done with sacrifices that were laid down before the altar? Death. Death. We are to be dying to our... You were to die ultimately at your conversion. That was part of your repentance. That was part of your coming to, to Christ was that you were done with you. Right? But it's an ongoing work that we progressively... Because we didn't die perfectly when we got saved. We didn't rid ourselves of all ungodliness when we got saved. But the desire was there, the willingness. That's what, that's what the Lord was calling us to do. And now we're working on that. We're working on that job. Um, the reason I brought these things up um, really is so that you're not discouraged. 
I want you to be expecting the struggle, expecting the battle, being, I want you to be willing to engage in it, right? That's, that's the Christianity we're talking about here, right? The Christianity that Jesus was talking about when he said, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, right? You must be willing to do that. Um, how does this, uh, how does this reality, how does the fact that this ongoing battle and struggle, it's definitely biblical, it's definitely part of our, um, our salvation, how maybe might this influence some of the evangelists in the room? How might this reality that this is, that this is true and going to be true in somebody's life if they become a Christian, how might that reality influence your gospel presentation or your, you know, your relaying of the, the gospel to someone? How might this reality, how might you include that in your gospel call? How might it influence what we're, what we're speaking to people about coming to Christ? Obedience, well, yeah. You could emphasize that obedience to Christ is part of the deal, right? Of course we need to emphasize obedience's proper role in salvation, right? Not for justification, but it is part of putting yourself underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think that's, not in our preaching, but in general, you know, the lordship of Christ is unfortunately underemphasized in most preaching. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. You must confess Jesus Christ as Lord, or Romans 10 says you're not saved. He must be Lord. Right? That's yeah, I think that's it needs to be there in our preaching. So so nobody's surprised, right? So when you just preach to them justification, hey I'm saved, you know, then they come to church and start hearing all these things the Bible tells them that oh I don't know how to what's all this? Yeah, I mean I thought I had my ticket. I thought I was coming to church to get my ticket. You know, but yeah, I think that would be helpful, right? I think it would would maybe sep- do some of the separating at the get go, right, between some people who come into the church and wow, the Bible has all these stand God has all these standards for me. Like it's not really what I was looking for, right? But maybe out of the gate, we can be very honest with them up front. No, we're calling you to submit to God, right? And He will save you, right? So, yeah, Amen, Amen. Um, Maybe let's talk for just a moment about why, why is this a battle? It sure would be nice if it wasn't a battle. Why is it a battle? Maybe y'all throw out some ideas or some texts. Why is this a struggle? Wally, I think Wally and then one. It's in our flesh. Yes. We still live in the flesh. Yeah, our flesh. Where does the Bible speak to the reality that we're hindered by our flesh? Romans 7, right? That's the famous passage. I mean, Romans 6, Romans 7, that's all sanctification going on here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, Wally, why don't you read for us? Read for us Romans chapter 7. Maybe, it's hard to pick a text. Maybe just start in verse 21 and read through verse 25. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. All right. Yeah, that's good. That's that is a reality, brothers and sisters, of this this unredeemed humanity that we have. Right? We're not glorified yet. We'll talk about that later. That's going to come in a few weeks. Yes, sir. Amelia, see your hand. One, I'll get to you. One. Well, only because some people object to the use of that that passage. Right. We don't believe. Yeah. We believe it should be talking about. Some theologians would say that's not usually a, a, a Christian's experience. Right. So Galatians chapter 5 Good. is, in fact, I don't know if we're going to go to Galatians 5, that parallels something that is beyond dispute. Yes. Yes. Y'all follow what Emilio is saying? He's just saying, like in Galatians chapter 7, some people don't believe. 
I mean, sorry, yeah, Romans chapter 7 is not speaking of the ongoing struggle that's part of your sanctification. I think some of the language Paul's using there can't really be said of a Christian, right? All this talk about sin still being in you, because didn't he just say in Romans chapter 6 that we died with Christ and the body of sin has been put away? So why is he going to come in the next chapter, right? But so there's a sense in which both are true, right? Yes, you have been, I'd say the, the ability and the break with sin has been there provided by the death of Christ, but the struggle still remains because of right our unreading flesh. We have been glorified. So what Emilio was saying is Galatians 5 um, is irrefutable how it speaks to the reality that um, the struggle is there. Um, maybe like verse 17, Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. See, it's a battle between the remaining sin that's still there and yet to be eradicated fully and the work that the Spirit's wanting to do in our lives. Let me get Juan, Trish, and I'll come back to you because Juan, are you still, did uh, we move on? Or? No, I was just going to say, uh, I think like, just, you know, what Wally was saying, That's all good language you're using. Ongoing. That's very pertinent to what we're talking about. We're talking about progressive. None of this, none of us view God as we should. Right? We're all still needing to see him higher than we see him now. Right? We all still need to appreciate the grace that we've received more than we appreciate it. Right? None of us have arrived. Paul says he hasn't arrived. He's still working. That's Paul said he had not arrived. He was still working at these things. Trish. Spiritual war, yeah. spiritual warfare. Whether it be things, you know, with media and the spirit of the age, like the, the, yeah. the agendas that are going on, and we're, we're waging, we're always constantly in a offensive. That's good what she's saying, emphasizing the offensive, right? Ephesians 6, it's talking about, you know, being ready, taking, uh, being proactive, put on the armor, get ready for the battle. What's the, what's the offensive weapon, brothers and sisters, that the Lord gives us in, in Ephesians chapter 6? The sword, the word of God. That's our offensive weapon, right? Fight the enemy like Christ fought the enemy, with the word of God. Well, that's how Jesus in his temptations fought, fought the enemy with the word of God. Yeah, that's right. And I think maybe, let me just, what Trish is saying, I think it's underappreciated the reality that there is spiritual warfare going on. Right? Demons are real. Satan is real. The unseen is real. Um, you know, it's, ama- it's amazingly true, right? That, it's, that this is the kind of warfare that we're engaged in. So, yeah, remember that. It's, I think it is good to remember that the reality of angels and demons, right? The Bible actually says there's many things that. Um, that we should consider the reality that angels are present with us. Right? It mentions that several times, even in the New Testament, that angels are amongst us, therefore don't do this or don't do that. Right? This, this is real. And so keep that in mind. Believe that. Well, uh, Marshall, was that you? Yeah. Uh, you know, James was always was speaking. Uh, in James, uh, he was also speaking in uh, uh, temptation. Mm. You know, and he was also talking about Breaking out, you know, uh, you know, as we do salvation too. Hmm. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, he's speaking of temptation and, and uh, 
I think uh, maybe I'll, yeah, maybe let me write on what you're saying there. That's interesting, right? It, it, that's something we can. It says, "Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encar- uh, encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance let it have its perfect work." All of that. Again, don't be surprised that testing is coming. And what does James go on to say? A helpful thing to remember: when the testing comes and you don't know what to do, what does he say to do? What does James 1 say to do when the testing comes and you need help? Count joy. Count joy. Yeah, think rightly about it. Count it all joy. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generally to all without reproach and it will be given to you. I always thought that was one of the most amazing promises in the Bible. Is Because don't we lack wisdom sometimes, lack discernment in a sense of like, this trial has come. God, I don't know what to do. This is a pretty unqualified, straightforward promise that if you ask God for wisdom, He will supply it. Wow. The, the, tri- the trials are coming. The testing's coming. If you need help, ask of God, He says. Right? How do we ask of God just practically? Let's say a trial comes and you're, you're floundering. You're, 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 you're stumbling. It's stumbling you. How do you fulfill what He's saying? How do we, what are the ways in which we ask God for wisdom and how does he give it to us? How does that look, what does that look like? James 4, 8. James draw 4, 8? Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So what, yeah, what does that, what does that mean? That's what I'm trying to say. How do we do that? What does it mean to draw near to God? I think prayer has a lot to do with it, right? How we relate and we submit to him. Yeah, Lennon? I know that he says that, that if you draw near to him, you must Good. Come to God in faith, trusting Him. Yeah. Right. Submission. Is that said? Yeah. So. Good. That's what I was going to get. At. Like, how does this process work out? You ask for help. Where do you seek it? How do you seek it? Through prayer, I think. Through submissive, by faith, requesting these things, knowing that God has promised it to you in James chapter one. And he's faithful. Don't doubt his promise. Wait for the answer, right? Because he promises it um, through prayer, through seeking his word, right? Where he's already spoken objectively, right? And clearly seek that. How's those answers sometimes going to come? Through godly counsel, through the brethren, right? This is how our, our mind is renewed and how we're given direction, Right? It's not a Lone Ranger type of experience. Right? God has given us, as we're going to see, there's many, many means by which God gives us to help us in our sanctification. And the church and brethren plays a huge role in that. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, I never do make as much progress as I want to. I, ne- I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Let me, let's just end on this, brothers and sisters. Let's end on this. Um, as we think about this ongoing, ever-increasing holiness, let me just end by reminding us that isn't this good news? Isn't this good that this is the sure direction that our life is going to go as a Christian? We are going to become more holy. Isn't that, isn't that helpful? Um, and this thought isn't original. Wayne Grudem said it in his audio on this subject, but in his in his classroom, he taught this in Sunday in his Sunday school class, and he and he said, "Isn't this a, a good a good uh, aspect of aging? The fact that as we age and get older, this is happening, and so it's good, right? Do you want to stay? Do you want to stay here all your life, whether you have your vigor and your looks and your whatever? Is that where you want to be? No, you don't." Better to age and be here, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Right? So let it come. Yeah. Right? Bring it on. Right? It's good. It's good news that our future is is bright for the Christian. It's nothing but good news for us. Ultimately heaven, right? Ultimately full glorification. But even in this life, even when the trials come, it's producing in us more and more holiness and that's priceless. It's priceless. Yes, Trish. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he, he used to love to go home 
Right. But that his parents have passed on, and so he doesn't have home anymore. Right. And now every place is, is becoming like less like home, every state, everywhere. And, you know, and then he said, you know, my greatest fear of dying, and I thought it was interesting that he said that. He said, like, my greatest fear of dying, I don't think it's going to be a fear. I'll wake up in, in my room, you know, at home in the New Jerusalem yeah. with the Lord. And, and I just thought, wow, that was um, just kind of encouraging that he was admitting his fears. Yeah. Yeah, yes. We're pilgrims. Yeah. Yeah. We're leaving. We're leaving all these things behind, right? That's that's what's happening to us. So, um, let's pray and let's go to to worship. Well, Father, we we owe you, God, much praise. God, you deserve all praise and all glory for our salvations, God. What a what a glorious salvation this is, Lord. How much greater is the salvation that you've promised us than the other religions? The, the, the promise that, that we are sure to be in your presence, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, forever protected by your great power, in perfect fellowship and love and unity with the brethren. What a great salvation as opposed to those whose hope is that they will not exist anymore. Or a hope that Well, they may enter heaven if Allah is willing, but our hope is sure, and it's a hope that's an anchor for the soul. And so, God, we praise you for this glorious gospel, the gospel of God, your gospel. God, help us, Lord, to be stirred up now as we go to our service, Lord, to worship you in song, to worship you by hearing your word, submitting ourselves to what your word says, Lord. Bring a a reverent fear and trembling as Pastor Emilio preaches to us, God, that we would fear when we hear from your voice the trembling that should happen to us, Lord. Let us be attentive. Let us be willing to do whatever your word says for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.